Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Stand Up For The Truth. If you are not fired up today, prepared to be, because if this show don't light your fire, your wood is wet. I've got a young pastor in the studio with me, and already the Holy Spirit's moving. Let's open in prayer. Um, Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to challenge believers, to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ, to rally the remnant, to be salt and light in our culture, to speak the truth, to live out the gospel that we say we believe in. Lord, lead us by your Holy Spirit, as you always do, but help us to be sensitive to your Spirit's leading. And God, guide this conversation today. I'm excited to talk about this book. I'm excited to talk about these issues. And Lord, uh, help people really hear and then help them decide to change something if they've become comfortable or lukewarm or maybe they've got a decision to make in their lives. Lord, will I lift them up to you? I pray that you touch each person's heart and encourage them with the hope that we have in Christ. And we lift up this time and thank you for your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today's guest, he's a young pastor compared to me because I'm older. So I can call him young Eric Jackson. He's a pastor and author. He's in Manaqua, Wisconsin. He's filled a variety of ministry positions. He's passionate about self-evaluation in Christianity. And you'll see that when we talk about his book. That's what I'm excited to get to. He graduated from UWGB and currently is the lead pastor of Foundation Church. Eric Jackson, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Like you said, I can, I can feel the Holy Spirit. I feel like this is going to be a, a fantastic conversation, so I can't wait to just get into it. Me too. So before we get into your background a little bit, because I want to introduce you being the first time on the show and letting people know what you went through, if you can sum that up a little bit, so we have more time to talk about your book. But he writes on page 18 of his book, it's called Feral Christian feral Christian. He said, the church looks radically different than it did when it started. We look like the church on the outside, but we suffer internal turmoil because we have lost something very important. The remnants of our original design, purpose, and potency are there, but we've now almost forgotten them altogether. He goes on to say, we see the cross hung up in the church and we know there's power in it. We desire to use it the way it was at the beginning, but instead we end up using it mostly just to center our drum set. I thought this was one of the more profound quotes, and there are a lot of them, I think, in your book. Congratulations. I think it's a very well-written and powerful book. Thank you. Thank you. So before we get into your background, where can people get this? I've got it on, linked on Amazon, but where yeah. else? Amazon is is going to be the easiest place we've got. I've got some places local in Manaqua, but right now Amazon's the easiest place. You can get it right from there. Otherwise, um, I can I can link my email, and if if people want to email me, I can okay. ship it out to them as All right. well. Oh, we'll have to see if we can get it over to Green Bay Lighthouse. Uh, yeah, they sell a lot of good books. Um, so Eric, tell us a little bit about yourself. I uh, I think you said your dad was in ministry, and yeah. so you grew up in a quote. Christian home, and where did you grow up? In Michigan, Wisconsin? Yeah, I grew up in, in northeast Wisconsin. I grew up in Marinette, and my dad, when I was growing up, he was not um, a pastor yet. He is, he's a pastor now. He, he is a counseling pastor at his church, so when I was growing up, he was very involved. He was a, a, an elder, and um, I was just one of those people that we were at the church five nights a week. That's just what it was. Um, and I remember even... Wait a minute, churches are open five nights a week? Um, not really anymore. <laughs> I mean, some of them, I look back and say, I mean, I was involved in puppet ministry. I was involved <laughs> in, in everything. And so, um, but yeah, I was there and, and church was just such a integral part of my life. But 
I'm somebody who that naturally I just I see patterns and I see differences. So I look, mm -hmm. okay, here are the patterns. This is different. So I grew up going to a Lutheran school, but uh, going to an Assemblies of God church five nights a week. Those of you who don't know, that's very different yes. styles, <laughs> very different styles of churches. And I remember even as a little kid understanding, okay, there's differences here and there's differences in how, how, that, how that happens. And so as I was growing up, um, I, we, I was in a Christian band and, and God just blessed us and gave us a bunch of opportunities. And so we were able to go and we played for a lot of youth groups. And I started to see a lot more of just the behind the scenes of, of the church. Mm. And as a 17-year-old, as a I, I started to feel this tension inside of myself because I knew there was something real mm. to God because I saw it in my parents. Um, I saw my parents go through some really devastating times, and I watched what real faith, you know, raw, genuine faith looked like. Mm. So I knew... There's something real here, but then I, I would be a part of these events and I would see just this performance aspect and I would see this fakeness. I like the way you're describing it. Go ahead. Yeah, and it was, and you start to see behind the scenes, you know, it's, it's, it, they always say it's, you don't want to see how the sausage is made, you <laughs> know, and so you start to see how the sausage is made. And so I was, as a teenager, I just, I didn't know what to do with that. Mm. Is this real? Is it not? Because part of it feels real, but there's clearly these fake components to it. And it eventually just led to me walking away from the church because I didn't know how to deal with uh, these, these uh, gripes, I guess, that I had of why are we doing this? What is all this fakeness? Why, if it's real, what's the need for this? And um, at, that, at that time, there was really no healthy way for me to express it. There was, there was not a, a great way. So I just ended up uh, stepping, stepping out of the church altogether. I don't believe I ever stopped believing in God, but I definitely went through a real rough period. Questions. Where I was, yes. Well, yeah. and where I was, I was living as a true prodigal. And God eventually just was so amazing, chased and pursued and... Um, I just had this radical experience with God where, where I felt I truly understood the weight of my sin and, and all of these, these amazing things. Um, and, and so I just I, I fell in love with God to the point where I walked in and said, I'll deal with any of the fakeness because I'm just so in love with God <laughs> that I want to be a part. And he, he, he just kept calling me to, to be more involved. And so... Here we are, you know, that's been 15 years now, wow. which is which is crazy. It might have even been more than that. Um, I'm getting I'm 35. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, 15 years um, and and God's still working on me. Praise God. Well, I, I was very hesitant um, when I got your email and, and uh, heard about the book only because of my writing in the past of the emergent church and how younger generations are being taught the seeker-sensitive way, not the Acts chapter 1 and 2 and you know, Paul's ministry, not that way, not the biblical way. Yeah. They're being taught more like an American Christianity, a, I mean a liberal Christianity, which to me is an oxymoron when you talk about liberal Christian. But anyway, it's for another topic. Um, I want to jump, because of what you shared and what you went through, there are a lot of people who are discouraged because they see what you saw in still today. They're seeing something that's not genuine, um, not authentic. They're seeing a church that is supposed to be real, and they're seeing people put on masks. And I'm not talking about COVID, which we'll, we maybe will get to that. But I want to jump ahead to one of these questions that we, we may have gotten to at the end of your book, you say you stopped going to church because of the hypocrisy and other things, and then the question, is there a way back? Well, we know there's a way back, but what would you say to someone listening right now? And we have some younger people listening that they're seeing the church and they're going, ah, oh, it just doesn't seem, because we haven't been effective. If you talk about being salt and light, uh, we'll, which we'll get to that salt block chapter in your book, um, what, would you, what kind of advice would you give them? How would you speak to someone, whether they're young or old, and saying, there's just so much hypocrisy, and it's just not the Christianity I read in the New Testament. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fantastic question because I think more and more we're, we're coming to terms with it. And I think that's what this whole situation that we're going through, 
um, it is revealing a lot of the hypocrisy in the church. And yes. I think that's why so many, <laughs> so, so many Christians are so mad and upset is nobody likes to be exposed. No mm. one likes to have their flaws shown. And yes. right now, a lot of our flaws are just being shown. So I think this is a, a great time to address that. And, and for me, the answer that I've always found is be just so in love with God that you just can't take your eyes off him. Because that's oftentimes, for me, when I was struggling the most was when my true uh, love and adoration of God was, was not at the forefront. So that's when you start looking off to the left and to the right and going, why is this person doing that? Why Comparing is this? Comparing yourself with yes. others. Yeah. So if in the times where I just was in awe of God, and, and that I almost... If I had more time, I would I would be writing books all the time because I I almost I want to write a book on just this word awe because it's used so much in the Bible. I don't think the church understands mm. the idea of awe and and how it, it truly means to be shaken, to have your world shaken. And that's you know when even Joshua said prepare because God is going to amaze you. He's basically saying prepare because your world is about to get shaken. Mm. And when you get to that point of awe of where your world is just shaken. What someone else is doing is like, yeah, I mean, you you can be frustrated and you should talk to them. If it's someone that you know and, and you love, you should talk if there's hypocrisy, but it doesn't affect where you are because your world has been just turned upside down by mm. God. And so that's not as big of a deal. So what's one of the practical steps to follow up on what you just shared? How do you get to that point for an average or a young Christian, let alone someone that's been disappointed or even hurt by someone in the church. And by the way, I think you learned this lesson too. Never judge God by what someone else, another human being, maybe they're a Christian, maybe they're not, by what someone else does to you or if you're offended by something or someone that is part of a church. Don't judge God by what someone else does. Go ahead, Eric. Absolutely. No, I mean, to me, the most practical step is look at God. You're not going to be amazed by God if you're not looking at him. And, and even in this whole situation, that has been my nonstop message to my church is who are you looking at? What are you paying attention to? Because if you're paying attention to people, you're going to see nothing but hypocrisy. Mm. But if you're paying attention to God, I mean, it, the Bible talks about magnifying God. So that's putting a magnifying glass on God. If you're doing that, you're going to be amazed because I don't know how you can watch God and be paying attention to God and not be amazed because mm. he's always doing amazing things. Always. And yep. so to me, that that's the best practical step is the Bible talks about focus so much. Even when it talks about how to run the race to win, it's keeping your eyes on Jesus. That's the key. That's, that's how you do it. And so if you want to be in a state of awe of God versus a state of just being let down and frustrated by people— it just, it's who are you looking at? Are you looking at people? Are you looking at God? If you look at God, I got to believe he's going to amaze you pretty quick. We're talking to Eric Jackson. He's a pastor and author from Monaco, Wisconsin, and we have his link, and uh, it, it's to the book Feral Christian, F-E-R-A-L, and it links over to Amazon. We've got that at standupforthetruth.com in today's podcast post. So feral, I had to look that up, Eric. I know it had something to do with being wild, but it's an adjective existing in a natural state as animals or plants, not domesticated or cultivated. First of all, what caused you to write this book? And I want you to get to what you shared about being domesticated because the church has become domesticated and that has led us to be in the lukewarm state we're in right now. I call us the United States of Laodicea. I have a lot of pet names for uh, the church. So go ahead. What caused you to write this book, Feral Christian? And then talk to us about being the dangers of being domesticated as a church. Absolutely. So I, I've, I've had this thing recently of trying to come up with new words because I do not like that oftentimes if I use a word that's been used a lot, everybody I know has a different definition. So we're mm. talking about totally different things. And, and that's bothered me because so many disagreements are because we're using a word, but we have different definitions. And even if you look in the Bible with Jesus and the Pharisees, they were constantly, they were using the same words, but they had different definitions. And so for me, when I wanted to write this book, I knew I wanted to have a word that I could use 
that would allow me to define it for mm. people. Because to me, there's so much power in being able to define. Because I've stopped using a lot of words. I stopped using Pentecostal because I realized everybody has a different definition. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to stop using it. I'll use a word where I can tell them, here's what I mean by mm -hmm. that. So I was looking at a word and I truly just wanted it to mean in a natural state, the way you were made, mm. in a way, living in a way that's appropriate for your species to live. And when I looked it up, the word feral is perfect. And I loved it because it's one of those words that we always think negative. But that's the word doesn't have a negative connotation. It actually has a positive. Mm. You're living in an appropriate way. This is appropriate for your species to live. It's natural for you. But we always view it as negative because for us, and this is really the core of the book, whether we view something as negative or positive is not based on if it truly is a good or bad thing. It's based on how much does this mess up mm. what we've built. So you don't want a feral dog in your neighborhood that's going to mess up what you've built. But for that dog, is that dog doing something wrong? No, that's natural. That mm. dog is doing what is appropriate for it to do. And, and that's really the core of the book is this idea that we behave in such a way as to not mess up what's been built versus behaving in a way that we were made to behave mm. and doing what we were made to do. Wow, I'm just letting that sink in a minute because I think that uh, sometimes we need to get back to the messy, unpredictable, uncomfortable stuff of Christianity. And um, another part of that definition of feral, um, having reverted to the wild state. Yeah. Interesting. So wild Christianity, we're not talking about out of control. We're not talking about crazy, like uh, some charismatic movements go way past, <laughs> I mean, what is biblical, and that turns people off. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about practical applications of Christianity. Like if you read the, the book of Acts, they were just going out. They were trusting God. And by the way, um, in this chapter where you talk about being domesticated, <laughs> I, I just got a kick out of it. In, on page 22, it says, because of our domesticated mindsets. Now, you're referring to Christians, right? Yes. It has been a long time since we have put ourselves in a position where we have no options other than God. God never stops supplying our needs. We stop relying on him. And you said domestication is a complex and intentional process. It doesn't happen by accident. So what I take from that, we've only got two minutes before we got to take a break. What I take from that is if it doesn't happen by accident, that means the church has kind of been formed this way on purpose where we're kind of maybe conformed to the world instead of doing what the church was intended to do. Your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. I, I, we, the church has had to be complicit in this. There's, there's no other way. And there, there's a lot of people right now who are actually thinking that cats, if you look at cats, um, they actually kind of decided to domesticate themselves because the domestication process is, is kind of like a trade. It's uh, I'll obey your rules if you provide a more comfortable living for me. So, so you look at, you know, uh, a dog or whatever. It's like, okay, I won't do this. I won't do that. I won't mess up your, your nice thing that you've built. But um, in return, you provide safety for me and you provide food and you provide comfort. And it's this trade that, that happens. And, and I think that that has slowly happened in the church where it's when you're wild or feral, you have to rely on, what you have in you, and that's all you have. And you have to make it happen, and if it doesn't happen, you're in a bad spot. When you're domesticated, you don't need to rely on what's in you. Someone else has agreed to meet your needs as long as you play by their rules. And mm. so exactly what you said. I'm not talking about being a troublemaker or running up and down the aisles. I'm talking yeah. about putting yourself in a position where God's got to show up or, uh, or you're in a bad spot. We're talking with Eric Jackson, and I really like this book. I don't read a lot of books. Um, well, I, I research a lot of books, but I don't read them. I read a lot of this last night, and it's called Feral Christian. 
I recommend it. It'll be on our website. And we're going to talk a lot more when we get back about how do we become undomesticated as Christians and be a more effective church and the difference between conformity and transformation. More with Eric Jackson when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today in studio with Eric Jackson. He's a pastor and author. The book, um, it reads very easily, and it gets to very profound points. And I, why should I be surprised? He's younger than me. He can be profound. Anyway, we'll have it linked up at standupforthetruth.com in the blog post today. Uh, we thank you for sharing our podcasts. Next segment, uh, we're going to flip gears a little bit, and we're talking about something that's happening in the country, the intimidation tactics of the left that are just producing a lot of death and destruction in America. I'm fed up. I don't know if you are, but we're going to talk about this anti-police rhetoric and uh, the agenda that they're just stoking lies. And there's definitely a division in the country, but it's it's um, not something that we uh, think is going to go away soon. But Eric Jackson, um, let's go on here. There's so many good points in your book, and we're about halfway through my notes here, which is good. Um, let's get to that question I mentioned before we took a break. What's the difference between conformity and transformation? That's a great question. And this was actually a, a, a big question in my life personally. That was something my wife and I had to walk through because we realized that, that God was trying to transform us while we were still trying to conform. To the and world? Yeah. And it is a very uncomfortable thing because you feel like you're being torn apart. God's pulling you one way. Um, and you're trying to still go another way. So basically, when I when I looked it up, when I when I did some studying of just really the root words, it, it, it's just this idea that to be transformed is to and that word trans means across. So it's it's to be formed across. So if you view a room, it's like it's you're being formed across the room, completely different to where you are. To be conformed, con means that that fully to be completely. And, and I, in the book, I talk about arriving because that's what we all want to do. It's like, when am I going to arrive? When am I going to have the, the house with the white picket fence, have the great job? When the am American I, dream. Yes. When am I going <laughs> to arrive? And, and my wife and I struggle with that as well. And, and I, I write in the book, our, the big thing that, that God used in our life to force us um, to just come to terms with that was infertility. Because it was one of those things where we couldn't just make it happen. Mm. We could no longer um, keep pressing into the, I want to fully arrive. And that was the first time that God spoke to me and, and explained, you can't fully arrive where you are and be taken somewhere else at the same time. You can't. Mm. So if you're going to be taken somewhere else, you have to understand that you will never fully arrive at where you are. And that was where, for the first time in our life, we realized we had a choice of being transformed or to conform. And you cannot have both. Hmm. And so for me, that's always been the difference is giving up that idea of fully arriving. Because again, you're going back to the idea of domestication. It's fully arriving means that you have found your place in the world's structure and system, which means you got to follow the rules because they're not going to let you mess up this nice thing that they've created. So in order Mm. to conform, you have to be domesticated. They go together. And to be transformed, you have to be feral because to be transformed means now you're, you're just relying on God. There's no one else. There's no one else to, to come rescue you. You've been brought across the room and it's just God. So he better show up hmm. or, or things are not going to go good. And Romans 12, 2 tells us we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and not to conform to the world. First uh, John uh, 2 says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So let's talk about um, this word I can't stand anymore. And you guys, uh, my, the audience already knows this. It's relevant. Now, when it comes, relevant is not necessarily a bad word in and of itself, but when you apply that to Christianity and the church and the world, it becomes this thing that we were never meant to be. Um, on page 44 of your book, Feral Christian, it says, Unfortunately, the church has confused the words engage and emulate. We are called to engage the world, 
We are not called to emulate it. And somewhere along the line, the church decided that in order to engage the world, we must emulate it. What does emulate mean, and can you go deeper on that thought? Absolutely. So, so we, we want to reflect the world back to itself. And it's a very strange idea that the church has had where we think in order to be, and again, I'm not a big fan of that word either. I write in the book that to be relevant, that we need to reflect the world back to itself. Um, where if you look in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible do we see no. that being used as a tactic. So it's always confused me why, and, and we don't really question it. We don't really say, hey, it's just that's the standard. This is what you have to do. If you're going to be a church, you have to look enough like the world for people to see their reflection in you, and then you got to sneak the gospel in after that. And I've never really liked that, and I think that's where I talk in the book about impact. Mm -hmm. That's where you lose the impact, because people, I don't think, are looking for a reflection of the world. I think they're looking for the opposite. They're looking for a different choice. And we need to provide them with that. And that's why we engage. Um, that, that means we, we do the opposite. We, 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 don't, um, we don't try to reflect. We just stand on the other side and say mm-hmm. we're opposite and we're another choice that you have. Um, some of the history on this, which we've talked about on this podcast before, in the 1970s there was a man named Robert Schuler. He was a pastor in Garden Grove, California, the Crystal Cathedral. Before he started his big mega church, one of the first, along with Rick Warren, he went door to door and asked people, I believe it was the early 1970s, he literally asked people, what would you want in a church? Where's that in Scripture? Did Jesus, did the Apostle Paul, did any of them ever go to the pagans and say, hey, would you come to temple if we did this? Then you end up entertaining. I'm sorry. Getting pet. No, I'm I, sorry, not sorry. I never apologize for being passionate, but that's what he did. And he got this, these answers. Oh, we want this. We want, we want coffee. We want carpet. We want a nice uh, sanctuary. We want all this and that, which has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with discipleship. And this is how the church in America started saying, okay, this is the formula for church growth. Why? Because this is what the world told us to do. The world said, we want this. So now we're being relevant. Now we're being seeker-sensitive. Now we're conforming to the world. Then you get people in your church. Can you actually give them sound doctrine now? No, because they'll be offended. Oh, Eric, you got me going, man. You pushed my button and didn't even know it. But that word relevant. Um, You say one philosophy I've never understood in the church is the just get them in the door way of thinking. You say that on page 103. And then on page 104... We did the one thing Jesus told us never to do. We became salt that lost our saltiness. We wanted to be a place where unbelievers would come and be completely comfortable, which sounds very noble. However, that goal would come at a terrible cost, one that we are just starting to fully understand. End quote. And I would go out on a limb to say we've been understanding that for a couple decades now because the damage has been done. We are the uh, lukewarm church of Laodicea. The United States of Entertainment um, church is no different than the world in many cases. I know there's a remnant out there, and I told you before we got on this podcast, I used to be much more uh, critical of leaders, church leadership, and then I became an associate pastor. Now I'm telling people, no, 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 lay off a little bit. No, I'm kidding. You guys know I'm kidding. You you can be hard on me. You can be hard on anybody. You can disagree as long as it brings us closer to Jesus, closer to the gospel, and doing what he called us to do. I'll let you share now, since I'm interviewing you, Eric. But the book is called Feral Christian. I just read a few quotes from your book. I heartily agree. And any thoughts you have on what I just spewed? Oh, absolutely. But I love it. I mean, to me, that's my passion is to ignite other people's passion. Uh, that w- it was something that, because like I said, I grew up in, in the AG, and one of the, the issues that I have had is at times it feels like the speakers would want to take their fire and just like hit you with it and, and try to get their fire to just basically get you ready to go. Mm. And I just have a very different, I want to I wanna say the right words 
for the fire that's inside of you to be ignited. I want it to be yours. And so for me, if something that I've written has ignited passion, that is my touchdown. I'm, I'm so excited. But to me, entertainment is what ends up happening when you're, enter- when you're domesticated. So if you look at it, if it starts with animals being domesticated. Hey, follow my rules. I'll feed you. I'll give you a place. But over time, whoever the owner is will push. Now we have, oh, let me show you the tricks that my dog can do. Let me show you. So, so you, you, you first get domesticated, <laughs> and then now you're Tricks. used for entertainment, which mm-hmm. is what we have led to. And so I've never liked having entertainment and the church connected because, like you said, I see that nowhere in Scripture. And, and what, what I write in the book is we have to trust that the Holy Spirit is doing its job. Mm. So for me, I'm okay with someone coming to my church and walking in and going, well, this, this isn't comfortable for me, so I'm leaving. Because what I'm trusting is that everybody I've ever known in my life has had a real bad day, has had a relationship fall apart on them, has had some things where they find themselves looking in the mirror going, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than this. And, and that's the Holy Spirit is working those things. And so what I need to be is a place where when they have that moment where they go, man, this world doesn't have what I need. Mm. Have I shown them that there is a place yes. where God is there? And, and that takes trusting the Holy Spirit because that's saying, okay, I'm going to trust you're doing your job. So I'm going to do my job. I, there's, a, there's a chapter where I talk about just trusting the gospel, where I talk about this whole idea of when I was installing cable, I couldn't get anything done because I wouldn't take my hand off the pole, even though it wasn't supporting my weight. <laughs> and it was like, once you trust that, you can work with two hands on the job you're supposed to do. And I feel like mm. the church needs to work with two hands on what it's supposed to do, trust the Holy mm. Spirit to convict. And, and I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that if you just make it known to people that you have a place where if they want to see if God is real, they can come see if God is real and trust the Holy Spirit with the rest, that the people that God wants in your church, he's going to bring those people in Mm. your church. I agree. Um, Before we get to another quote uh, from your book, um, why do you think, as a young pastor, um, churches in places like China— and Iran, and where there's severe persecution, why do you think they are perhaps more passionate, but definitely they're growing more in numbers, not buildings, not programs, not entertaining worship services, not concerts, not anything else, but they're growing in true conversions and people who sincerely trust God. Why do you think that is? Oh, because they're actually Christians. I mean, that's, I, I know that's... You mean uh, there are people in our yeah. church seats that aren't Christian? I, I, I hate, I hate it. I, you know, and, and I'm a very nice person. I, w- I would consider myself like as that. nice. And so I struggle to even say that. But I, I, I just, I read the Bible and I go, oof, it's, it's laid out pretty clearly there. And I, and I think, you know, for me, and, and this might be a good segue, with, with what's going on with COVID, I think that what it has shown is that we are not like the church in China. There is a, mm. in Francis Chan's book, um, Letters to the Church, he tells a story about a, a pastor who had to be underground, and his church was growing and thriving, and then the government changed and they were able to go above ground, and they got a big building and became a mega church. And eventually, the government saw them as a threat and came, arrested them, shut them down. And the pastor said, it's the best thing that ever happened. I'm wow. so happy. He's like, my church became complacent. They no longer were the hands and feet. They expected the building to do the work. And that's been my disappointment in this whole COVID thing. Not that churches have shut down, because I think I've got a little bit of different philosophy. I listened to your show yesterday. I'm okay that the buildings shut down. I am disappointed. This was the The opportunity. Yeah, this was the opportunity. You know, I know states are different, but in Wisconsin, there was a good chunk of time where the building couldn't be open, but you could have families over to your house to do Bible studies, and you could, and nobody was doing it. Hmm. They were just going, when are we going to open the building back up? When are we going to, and it's, to me, that's where it's like, 
the government can't take away your ability to worship God and read yeah, the Bible. That's right. But I wasn't seeing any of that. Now, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm sure some yeah. people, but overall, mm. all I heard was a lot of complaining that we can't do church the way that we want mm. to do church. But in the Bible, you even look at the Apostle Paul, and he was in jail writing letters, and he wasn't sitting there complaining. He wasn't going, man, I could be doing so much more if, if this government let me. He's like, here's what I can do. I can write letters, and I'm going to trust that if I'm faithful to do what I'm allowed to do, that God is going to do more. And for me, that was my frustration, is that in places like China, it's like, hey, you're restricted, but you do what you can, yep. and God blesses it. And for us, I didn't see it. I didn't see yep. people step up and say, hey, we might not be able to just do whatever we want, but here's what we can do. Um, our church, we did some live streaming stuff where we really engaged in, with people who were watching. And, and I was able to walk people through the sinner's prayer over Facebook Live just because <laughs> I believe that that's, you know, when, when you get restricted, if you're faithful to do what you can do, God's going to bless it. This didn't take God by surprise. And I think this could have honestly been God using this to say, hey, I want the church to really be the church. I want people to actually start doing what they're called to do. Yes. And instead, people just complained. Or took a break. Say, All right, yeah. we can't go to church or oh, whatever. What's on TV? Yeah. Okay, seriously, we dropped a ball there. We gave them two weeks. That's okay. They Then we gave them a month. And all right, then the science didn't. The numbers didn't match the shutdowns. And then most of us eventually got back to church, and it was a shame that we didn't minister to a, a hurting and lost and helpless world, many of whom were so hopeless that they attempted suicide. Depression skyrocketed. Calls to, to hotlines skyrocketed. And here we are doing online services. Um, we did. Some of us did what we could at the time, but I think we really missed an opportunity to reach the world, to really impact the world, and draw them to Christ, and go out and minister. Um, we we could we could leave our houses, I think, during that time. Yep. Um, so one more quote from your book, and we've got to wrap it up in two minutes already. Um, you say uh, feral Christians, feral Christians of the New Testament church were unapologetically countercultural. And they had full confidence in the sufficiency of the gospel. They believed God had the power to transform lives, allowing believers to actually become more and more like Christ. What do we do about the state of the church today? And I'll put that as the last question for you. Absolutely. And it's, it's real simple. It's real simple. Good. We trust God, and we live like we trust God. That, that's the biggest thing. The New Testament feral Christians, they said, okay, God tells us that the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. Mm. So I have everything I need in me. I don't need the world to that's provide right. for me. The Bible tells me the gospel is completely sufficient. Any ministry that I'm asked to do, the gospel is fully equipped Amen. to do it. So now imagine how you can live your life knowing I have absolutely everything I need to do, not only be who I'm supposed to be, but do the ministry that I've been called to do. There's a freedom there. And, and the, wow. that, that book talks, fences are the center theme. And, and so many of us are lived so fenced in, and we mm. don't know which of those fences are from God, which are from leaders, which are from the world. And when you can actually live that way, I have what I need. I have what I need to be who I'm called to be and do what I'm called to do. Those fences can't stand. And now it's just, God, what land are you calling me to? And if there's a fence... I'm walking right through it, and that is the difference, and that's my heart for the church. Thank you. We'll get into that next time we have you on. Pastor Eric Jackson, Feral Christian is the book, and God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness and for ministry. When we come back, the intimidation tactics, the anti-police rhetoric, it is irresponsible and doing destruction, not only spiritually but physically. We'll talk about that on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Well, I've tried to go through uh, just some of what I've written, um, my weekly article for Freedom Project Media. And I try to share it once a week at some point on Stand Up For The Truth. And this is that segment. But before I get to that, I want to share a quote I thought was interesting from Pastor John MacArthur, who, um, you know, they're really trying to come down in his church out in California. And this is like, 
this is like almost like feral Christian 101. You're not going to tell me how to do my church. He said, if they, because he was asked, what if they come at you? They've already threatened to fine him. They already threatened to throw him in jail. They threatened to shut the church down, take away their parking lot, because I guess they're le- leasing their parking lot space. He says, if they want to tuck me away in a jail, I'm open for jail ministry. He says, I've done a lot of other ministries, but I haven't had the opportunity to do that one, so bring it on. And I know he's, you know, older, more seasoned, more mature, phenomenal teacher. And I just look at that kind of faith and I say, Lord, increase mine because I want to be a man of God that will say, you know what? And it will happen, friends. It will happen where the government will come at us. They already are. There's discrimination in the country. Is it persecution? No. Look at China. Look at Africa. Look at other places. But it's coming. It's a form of persecution. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you as well. Look at it as a badge of honor. So never back down from the truth. And that's my point in what we're doing here. We want to keep the church going, be the church. And this whole COVID thing has just divided us. And it's just ridiculous the way it's divided us. And I may, if it's going to separate the sheep from the goats, great. But uh, I think it's divided us in other ways. But, okay, that was free. Now, uh, the article is called Intimidation Tactics, Anti-Police, Black Lives Matter Agenda, Stoking Lies. And by the way, phenomenal article from Peter Heck yesterday at the website called Discern, D-I-S-R-N. I highly recommend it. But I really enjoyed his article. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said, if the, I'm paraphrasing here, if the church is going to stand up against racism as we should in past history, we should stand up against the racism of Antifa and Black Lives Matter and anything that is a lie that does not promote the truth. He said, to be clear, racism is vile and utterly incompatible with the character of a Christian. The testimony of Scripture provides, unsurprisingly, the clearest and most fundamental renunciation of a racist worldview or philosophy that literature offers. And then he goes on to say, the problem with the current cultural narrative chasing by Christians isn't that it condemns white-on-black racism— It's that it intentionally fails to offer a full witness. How so? Any biblical assessment of the state of racial affairs in our country would not fail to address the glaring hatred being perpetrated by too many Black Lives Matter activists with either the passive complicity or willful endorsement of elected leaders. Did you hear what I just said? Any biblical assessment. There's racism on both sides. So in a matter of months, we've gone from defund the police to attack the police. You may remember we talked about this on a show with uh, our black conservative brother in Texas, Seiko Woods, a month ago. Uh, LeBron James said black people were literally being hunted down every time they leave their homes. Did you hear me? Is that responsible to say that? Is that accurate? Is that truthful to say that? How do you think that impacts the hundreds of thousands of young people who emulate LeBron James, who never read the news, who don't care about history, probably ignorant of history, as anyone under 25 probably is because it's been rewritten and they haven't been taught the truth about America. So who's really being hunted? Well, another example, Saturday night, two more police officers were ambushed and shot sitting in their squad cars, one shot in the face, the other in the head, Compton, California. Let me give you some numbers. There are approximately 700,000 full-time law enforcement officers in the U.S. I think Chris Quintana mentioned that on yesterday's podcast. With that large a number, 700,000 people that have a badge, gun, the authority to uh, arrest someone, you'd think with this rhetoric that there'd be dead bodies piled up in the streets if we believed Antifa, Black Lives Matter, the Democrat Party, the media talking points. Do you really want the facts or do you want the truth? That's, That's what it comes down to, isn't it? Because you're being influenced by something. Um, did you know on average, once a week, a police officer is killed in the U.S. due to the felony actions of a suspected criminal? 
Did you know, in contrast to that, a total of 10, that's 5 plus 5 for those of you doing the math at home, 10 unarmed black men were shot last year in the whole year. 10. And did you hear what I just said? Once a week a police officer is killed. Did you know that 43 law enforcement officers have been killed in this year alone? 43. Does that fall with the narrative, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the radical Democrats, and LeBron James and the Hollywood celebrities? Oh, wow. Those, got, those have to be wrong. Well, be responsible and look them up. Like many of you, I'm disgusted by the anti-police movement and lawlessness allowed in the country. And what's worse, if you've seen these recent videos, the complete disrespect for life. Oh, well, how did we get here? Well, we've murdered millions of babies in the womb since 1973. It's allowed. And what do we often say on this podcast? What God declared immoral, man cannot make moral. But so there's bystanders out there in Compton after this shooting. There's a video. They're laughing at the officers suffering from gunshot wounds, bleeding. One of the victims was 24, the other 31. She's a mother uh, with a six-year-old at home. So now attempted murder is being celebrated on some of our streets. How did we get here? According to reports shortly after the two officers were shot, the ambulance couldn't even get, could hardly get into the hospital. Why? This was planned. Protesters were sent to block the entrance. Callous maniacs outside the hospital are on video yelling, we hope they die. Sound familiar? This is America. It's happening on our streets. Four years ago, Black Lives Matter protesters shouted, what do we want? Dead cops. When do, we want, when do we want them? Now. Oh, one other one. Cute. Pigs in a blanket. Fry them like bacon. Media crickets. Democrat Party didn't renounce it. And here we are today, four years later. Are we surprised by this? When I say media, I usually either use the phrase, on purpose, liberal media activists, or Democrat media. I hardly ever mention the mainstream media without using those descriptors. Why? Well, because it's true. If you've got 95% of people in the media that are for socialism, pro-abortion, they are pro-gay marriage, they are against Christianity, they discriminate against Christians, they think we're old-fashioned fundamentalist wackos, well, I think that's good enough to say, okay, those, most of those Democrats probably are against the church, so I just label it as I see it. But even an NPR reporter, NPR, I think they're funded by our tax dollars. Na uh, National public, yeah, oh, they get our tax dollars. So does, anyway, there was a reporter from NPR that was uh, at the hospital outside protesting with Black Lives Matter, blocking the entrance. So the police officers that were for law and order, if you're fans of Roman, Romans 13, you know what I'm talking about. They're trying to, you know, protect the innocent. Um, so they're shot, they're bleeding out, the ambulance arrives, and these people are blocking the entrance to the hospital. An NPR reporter was among the protesters. I'm not surprised, because I've been paying attention. Now, the atmosphere didn't happen overnight, guys. Um, this is a culture of hate that's been stoked. Billionaires funding the rebellion, the complicit media, celebrities, all part of this movement and right now, what are they doing? They're using this, quote, crisis. They're using the COVID crisis, or they're trying to, and to shut down the economy. They're using the Black Lives Matter, the, the protests, the upheavals, to try to get a puppet named Joe Biden in the White House. They're trying to get him elected. So they're trying to chaos, 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 unrest, hate. You know, they're trying to get all this stoked up so that maybe some people will say, wow, who is the president of America with all this going on? Donald Trump. Wow, well, it must be his fault then that all this is happening. Conservative commentator Candace Owens, um, by the way, you've got to look up her stuff. She's got a great podcast. If you want the truth about this issue of racism, she's black. She called out LeBron James and the Black Lives Matter uh, anti-cop rhetoric immediately after that L.A. sheriff 
ambush. And uh, she said, why does this happen? Because pea-brained celebrities that are idolized, like King James, telling young black men that they are literally being hunted. And she said, this is the natural result. It's dishonest rhetoric. Um, What did uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris do? They funded. (laughs) This is amazing, guys. You can look this up, too. They helped rioters and vandals get out of jail by raising money to pay their bail and fines. That's what they're doing. You know what side they're on. Um, Really quick, we've got to take another break in a minute. But over the past weekend, here's the hypocrisy. Chicago, 54 people shot, 12 killed in Mayor Lightfoot's crime-plagued city. If we do the math, that means more people were killed in Chicago in one weekend, and most of them black, than all unarmed black males combined in 2019. Wow, how about those numbers? How about that contrast? Baltimore, 50 people shot, 15 fatally. Do we hear anything from the media on these stories? No, go to at least a dozen of our inner cities in America with the same story. But here's a survey, and I'll leave you with this. 81% of black people in this survey do want police in their neighborhoods. But guess what? Black police chiefs have resigned in several cities in the country, including Seattle, um, because Democrats are supporting this lawlessness and chaos, and there are some that are ordering police to stand down. So there's more in this article, but I'll put it up today. Um, It's going to be out at Freedom Project Media. The video premieres at 4 p.m. You can see the whole thing and hear the whole thing. But you've you've heard my heart. And I just want to say we need to be about loving all people. If we're going to say love your neighbor, um, don't just love the neighbor that is most prominent in the media right now. There's a lot of other people that are hurting, and there's a whole country that needs the gospel, the true gospel. And we need to be about God's business here as a church and to really, unfortunately, do the unpopular thing and speak the truth in love, but expose the darkness with the light of Christ. More when we come back. We'll let you know who our guests are the rest of the week. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right. Uh, We're just talking here in the studio, and I'm going, hey, we're coming back. Okay, Um, guys, uh, we need to remember that we are the church. Like we talked about, we made that point a lot earlier. And uh, just we've got to be in the Word. We've got to know how to respond to these issues, be led by the Holy Spirit. We have to love others even when we disagree with them. But we can do it in a respectful way that is not harsh and disagreeable and intolerant, which is what we are shown oftentimes the most tolerant, the preachers of tolerance. Um, Tomorrow, Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs. We're going to be talking about real Christian persecution, not in America, but in other countries. He's always got such great updates for us, and his program is on Saturday mornings here, Voice of the Martyrs, VOM Radio. But I'm also excited to tell you about the Carls next week. We've got Carl Teichrib and Pastor Carl Gallops back-to-back. That's going to be fun. And then, God willing, next Wednesday, uh, we are going to bring you a little American history about the black-robed regiment, pastors in the early days. What did they ever do when they had to go to war? Well, they preached a sermon, took off their black robes, and went to fight. They just didn't expect their congregations to go out there alone. So we're talking to Dan Fisher. He's a pastor from Oklahoma, and a phenomenal book I'm reading right now, Black Robe Regiment. But tomorrow, Todd Nettleton. Remember to check out the link for Eric Jackson's book, Feral Christian. It's in today's podcast notes at standupforthetruth.com. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.